You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined by Adam Mattis and also by Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights. Uh, Jeff, how are you holding up? I'm doing well. You know, we're, we're staying healthy in my house, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll remain healthy the rest of this, however long this thing lasts. Yeah. Adam, are, are, how, are, how are things going over there in, in Colorado? Are, are, you, uh, are you getting stir-crazy? Are you... Oh, man, I am. Um, it's kind of funny. I would joke about it. We crack these jokes on the show, but it really is like you forget how emotionally draining it is to be in the same spot for so long. And it's it's been a weird feeling. But um, on a lighter note, my hair is absolutely ridiculous and I've grown out a goatee for the first time in my life. And it also is ridiculous. Damn, I don't have this is like the one time I don't have you on camera. <laughs> that's, there's a reason for that. <laughs> I'm growing in a mullet. Like my my the hair on the back of my neck is growing in way too thick. I'm I'm not comfortable with it. I could see you rocking a mullet. <laughs> uh, today's show, we are going to start with the latest reporting regarding the negotiations between the players and owners, as far as when they get paid or how much they get paid, how much they might have to give back, all of that. And we're going to use that information to figure out whether we can forecast whether or not you know we're going to have a year uh, to, or they're going to be able to finish off this season. Then from there, Adam and I are going to return back to our uh, fun, stupid activity between divisions, all-time division teams since 1990. I drafted the Southwest Division. Uh, Adam drafted the Southeast Division. A mistake might have been made on, on, on my part, uh, but, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how that thing goes. So, Jeff, I just... Go ahead and, and, and uh, to the best of your ability, summarize the latest that we have in terms of the negotiations between the players and owners. Uh, so far, everything has been you know relatively uh, copacetic between the two sides. Uh, the I think the, uh, the the owners are going to pay out next week on April fifteenth. They're going to pay out their full the the players' full paychecks. That'll make the third paycheck in a row, March fifteenth. April 1st and now April 15th that they've paid the full amount rather than holding some back rather than invoking their their force majeure clause which we'll, we can talk about sort of what that means and and I think that's a, a sort of a phrase that's sort of entered the lexicon that wasn't you know in the lexicon you know too for sure ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a phrase I mean I've I've read this this CBA up and down as many times as, as I've read anything in my life. And I never, I just always skipped that section. There was no point. I was like, well, who cares? Like this is never going to happen. <laughs> and of course now, uh, now I've read that section more than any other of these last couple of months. Um, but I think that's, that shows, I think the fact that they're still willing to pay the players in full, that shows to me that the, the NBA and the, and the players association are still on good terms. They're talking, they're going to work this thing out one way or the other. There, there isn't a, a reason for the league to sort of hit the, hit the nuclear, you know, the nuclear bomb button to sort of blow up the whole CBA and just, you know, essentially, uh, you know, put the, uh, put us into a lockout situation where they need to negotiate an entirely new CBA at that point. So, you know, there are, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot for them to, to discuss, but, to this point, it seems like they are at least at the table and everybody is is nice enough to to where they're not invoking this clause quite yet. Is it kicking the can down the road? I mean, why does it matter that they are deciding to, to do the full paychecks right now? Is there a reason that that they haven't maybe like, um, you know, prorated those or, or, or held a portion out yet? I mean, I would imagine at this point, the NBA 
it could do that. But if they do that, then that means that they are saying that the rest of the season is canceled, right? Okay. They can't do that. And then to my knowledge, if they invoke this clause and then the, the season isn't canceled, that comes with a, a lot more complications mm. to, to in terms of restarting the season. Once you've already invoked this force majeure clause, where do you know, do you how that money gets back to the players gets complicated. They'd much rather, you know, just, agree with the players association this is the, the amendment that we're going to do and they're still working on that and it's it's not you know I, I don't think either side is in a in a in a massive rush to do it that's why we've seen the the checks you know continue to come out in full but once they make a decision one way or the other it's sort of finalized in a way and and i think that's why they want to ensure that they do the best they can to come up with a, a solution that is best for everybody and fits the situation the best once they know, you know, are we going to have the rest of the season? Are we going to cancel the rest of the season and start fresh in October for the 2020 season? Or, mm-hmm. you know, are we not going to even be able to do that? And then it's going to be Christmas by the time we start the 2020 season and we still lose the rest of this one. So, you know, I think that there's still so much in the air that they can't make a final decision one way or the other. So it's April 9th right now, and it sounds like the catalyst for this update coming today was that is because the April 15th payments is what was just decided. So does it, in your opinion, do you expect sort of the next update to come sometime within a week of May 1st? Is that kind of when you would expect the next big announcement to come? It might not be the next big announcement in terms of just this entire thing. Like they may come to an agreement before then, but that's sort of the, the almost the latest it could come because we're going to have to know something about May 1st because the players are going to want to know. And then of course it'll get out because it always gets out, you know, what, what the decision is at that point. So I think that's not necessarily going to be the next big decision point, but it is going to be almost like that's almost the, the, the deadline for the next decision point. The next, the next point of, of, of emphasis really is that those May 1st paychecks. So we'll probably know within, you know, maybe six days of, of May 1st, whether those paychecks are going to be in full or whether the, uh, the NBPA and the NBA have come together to, you know, come up with some sort of solution to withhold some of that money. Is it, is it, how do you, Oh, go ahead. Well, is it given, given the way things have gone, like, is, has it surprised you at all the way the, the, the amicability between the two sides or, and, and how they've been able to talk to each other? Cause you're talking about a, a bunch of money. I mean, yeah, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here, and and it doesn't necessarily surprise me that this has gone particularly well in terms of the sort of amicability so far, because you know this is for the most part this is this these two groups are the same groups that just negotiated the the 2017 CBA a few years mm-hmm. ago. You know that was about three and a half years ago now, and they finished that thing six months in advance like you know it was not like 2011 where there was this you know the, the lockout and then all of a sudden you know they, they didn't start games until you know december in, in 2011 and they had to you know really you know hash this thing out well past july 1st this time around michelle roberts and adam silver and, and all of the people on both sides got this done you know much much earlier you know than they really sort of had to and it, it sort of i think that shows that they're really that you know everybody's on the same page everybody sort of wants you know this thing to to get done and when you look at the players on both sides you know Chris Paul is still the president Roger Mason Jr was the top VP now it's Andre Iguodala so you know there's a lot of and, and Michelle Roberts of course is still the the executive director you know how much longer that lasts we don't know but it seems like she's still going to remain in charge 
for the rest of at least this process. I would assume if she's, I think uh, there was an announcement, uh, bef- you know, before all this started, right. really just like a week before all this started that she was sort of looking for her way out or they were going to push her out or, or she was on the way out the door. I would imagine that this will extend her, her stay just to make sure that all of this, you know, still, you know, happens, you know, and then on the ownership side, you know, Tillman Fertitta has bought in, obviously he's been a, a flashpoint in all of this just because he seems to be running out of money. Um, you know, Dan DeVos took over the magic from his father, you know, Joe Sy brought, uh, you know, bought out Mikhail Prokhorov in 2019. You know, I, I think the, the Portland Trailblazers has changed ownership from Paul Allen to Jody Allen. But really, other than that, you know, the 26 other ownership groups have stayed, you know, relatively the, the same. So, you know, you've got a lot of people who were involved, you know, three and a half years ago who are now still involved in this. So there, there should be a, a good relationship there. I know this is a loaded question. And so maybe we could just kind of go surface level on it. But, you know, there's going to be a loss of revenue one way or another, whether it's a completely canceled season or, or a diminished season. How is that going to affect the NBA going forward? And what do you kind of see to be the obstacles um, with that loss of revenue? The, the biggest obstacle with the loss of revenue is how the pay, the players sort of pay back, quote unquote, the owners. They're not it's not literal. Like it's it's not like the they owe them money. Or it's sort of like, the, I don't know, it's hard to explain in, in sort of regular terms. But in in sort of NBA terms. The, the players are not taking any of the loss right now, right? They're still getting all of their money so far. If the owners realize that there's going to be a significant loss, they either need to invoke that force majeure clause and so that they forcibly bring back some of that money, or they need to t- talk to the players and get get some of that money back from the players. You, I mean, that would that would come in the form of just paying them less. It's not like literally the players would have to write a check back to the owners. Some right. players would. LeBron James is one of those players who may have to actually like literally write a check <laughs> back to his owner, which would rather be than weird. take less. Yeah, rather than take less, he'd actually actually have to give some back. Yeah, there are there are very few players who that applies to. LeBron is the biggest name. There are a, a handful of others who for whom that would apply. But for the most part, for you know, almost over ninety percent of players, it would just be they would get paid less, and therefore that's sort of like paying back the owners for the loss in revenue. So you know, until we know what's happening, that's why they haven't gone for this force majeure clause quite yet, because we just don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the season and going into next season. So I'm I'm kind of I'm still somewhat optimistic. I'm if not maybe more optimistic than I was maybe a, a week or so ago or two weeks ago that there might still be a finish to the season. But it, it has a lot to do with the amount of money that the postseason generates uh, compared to, say, you know, missing out on the beginning of next season. Uh, how, how are you, you know, where are you leaning in terms of whether or not they might be able to finish off this season? Or, or do you think it's just too much damage might have been done? That's That's a hard question to answer. That's a very much a... A, a sort of epidemiology question in terms yeah. of like, can they even finish the season? Right. You know, can we, if, if we're going to assume that they could in some way finish this season, whether it's in a bubble in Las Vegas, whether it's, you know, in everybody's home city, but just with no fans in the building, maybe there's some diminished fans where, you know, you only can fill every third seat, but you can at least fill every third seat. And you just, I don't even know if that's on the table. I don't know whether mm-hmm. that's even possible. If that is, then that would help with some of the the lost gate revenue. Because even in you know in the playoffs, 
you know, there, there's a, an upped gate revenue for all the, you know, most of the games are going to sell out, of course, and, you know, everybody charges more for playoff games. And so, you know, there's a lot of gate revenue loss. There's a lot of merchandise and concessions revenue lost as well, you know, and, but still finishing the season out is much better than not doing so because of course you get a lot of the, you know, even if it's diminished because you can only have fans in every third seat or you can't have fans at all, you know, it's still good for TV ratings. We're still going to, you know, people are still going to, to watch that. You can maybe, you know, upsell some of the, uh, the, the local revenue in terms of the, the, the remainder of this season, if, because people are just going to be so thirsty for the NBA Perhaps I mean there's a, there are some ways that they can try to make up some of that missing gate revenue, but there it seems relatively likely based on what we know that there is going to be some sort of drop from the sort of eight billion dollar figure that they thought they were going to make this year. Right. That's both with China, that's with this pandemic as well. So there's going to be some loss. How they decide to split that loss between the owners and the players, whether that bleeds into next year whether they sort of smooth that in over the next two or three years. It's it, all of that is on the table and so much more is on, is on the table right now. And so they're just, you know, discussing it and, and trying to, to negotiate uh, all of this stuff on every side. It's, it's, it's like you said, I, I think you put it best when you said it isn't really necessarily what anybody wants, right? If it was a matter of just what everybody wants to have happen, they would, they would figure out how to make the season work, but it's completely out of their hands right now. It's It's out of everybody's hands. I guess the big thing is, you know, what are they prioritizing in, in, in eventually returning to normalcy? Jeff, I, we really appreciate you uh, hopping on, especially on late notice, the way that we asked you. Uh, let us know what you're doing over there at Early Birds Rights. Yeah, you can follow Early Bird Rights on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. Earlybirdrights.com is your home for all of this sort of thing. I've written a few things over the last week that are just sort of diving into the coronavirus suspension for the NBA and just sort of how that how that affects this, you know, all of this force majeure stuff. All of that stuff is over at uh, Early Bird Rights. Once we get past all of this, you'll be able to find playoff coverage over there, off-season previews. My draft board is in the works. I've got like 32 guys on a draft board that I'm going to you know, put up at, at some point whenever we know the draft is going to happen. Um, so full salary cap sheets for all 30 teams. Full, you know, uh, propri- Proprietary, if I can say that word correctly. Uh, statistics for, for all 30 teams are up there. Uh, again, you know, statistics are not really interesting right now because nothing's happening and games aren't even happening. And so nobody really cares about that right now. But eventually that all of that stuff will come back and, and the stats will be uh, hopefully of use to a lot of people. So, you know, early bird rights is, is right now your home for a lot of this coronavirus stuff, but hopefully eventually will be your home for, for a lot more. That sounds great. All right, we're going to take a quick second. When we come back, Adam and I are going to break down the Southwest and Southeast all-time division teams. All right, thanks very much to Jeff for for hopping on with us. Great information there, and and hopefully at some point we start to get a clearer idea of what might come, uh, not just with the NBA, but society and for, for everybody going on. For right now, though, we're going to segue awkwardly Back to basketball, back to this bracket of all-time division teams going up against each other. I have the Southwest division for this one. Adam took the Southeast. Both teams kind of caught us by surprise as we were putting these teams together, though. Noel, Southwest didn't catch me by surprise. I mean, that one has – the Southwest division has sort of been maybe the most top-to-bottom good division over the last 20 years. So that one, not so much a surprise, but the Southeast – you kind of forget there is there's some really really top end talent in that division. Oh, I'm Adam, and I'm just always so smart about my divisions. 
No, like we didn't know the Spurs, Mavs, <laughs> Rockets have been good since the '90s. Come on, man. But I don't. I don't think of the Spurs as like great individually in a way that you would have to be. Yeah, like you had yeah. Duncan, but like Tony Parker yeah. isn't somebody I'm going <laughs> to bounce my grandchildren and tell them I, that I watched him. You realize they beat you guys. Yeah, fine. Sometimes. Never won. Never won back to back though. Never did not ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> All oh right, my. so I'll start things off. I'll tell you my uh, my starting five and then bench, and that's only because of the construct of the way that we put these teams together. Some of these guys, like I'm going to have them on my bench, but they're probably better than a guy that's starting in that in that first unit, just as an overall player. So I go CP3. And this J- is New Orleans Hornets, Chris Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so New Orleans Hornets at one point MVP candidate uh, Chris Paul uh, in in uh, in at my point guard Jason Kidd won a championship with Dallas and uh, I I think he was big enough to be able to place a shooting guard James Harden in there at my wing and then Dirk and Duncan to round out my starting five. This is very different than my roster. But you go to your bench first because I don't want to step on the toes. My uh, bench, I have Manu coming off the bench as a six-man because you just kind of have to. Uh, T-Mac at shooting guard. Hakeem Olajuwon, Marcus Gasol, and David Robinson. Obviously not exactly playing in position, but those guys are all too good. Like Hakeem and David Robinson especially are too good to leave off here, and and, and you don't have to so talk you, about what so we you said. just so you just moved to Keem to small forward. I see what you did. Okay, that that your team is officially disqualified. This what? is this is this is Why? not accurate. We're not talking because about two lineups. Have, We're talking about guys that we could interchange and and make a rotation out of this. Okay, so you have four centers in this ten man rotation. Technically, almost five. <laughs> 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 it's a uh it's yeah exactly duncan is your your other guy yeah this is uh i i don't love the way you did this at all okay. <laughs> not 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 to be surprised but it should be noted that part of the hard part here is so on my team i there was like really good players especially front court players that had to be left off so mm. my roster went chris paul at, at point guard james harden at, at shooting guard okay tracy mcgrady at small forward Tim Duncan and then Hakeem in the front court, which is just like, come on, try scoring on that group right yeah. there. You weren't, you will not. I don't even care if James Harden's out there. It doesn't matter. You're still not scoring <laughs> on Duncan and Hakeem. Uh, and then off the bench, Tony Parker, Manny Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard, Dirk Nowitzki, oh. and David Robinson. I, I should have Kawhi's a Kawhi. finals. Kawhi's a finals MVP over this. Span, yeah, you know I his time there. I think if I had this to do again, I would take off either Manu or Marcus and add Kawhi. Yeah, you got to take off Mark Gasol just because the, the the just for lineup sake. Yeah, just for lineup sake. I mean, I know it's a little bit, you know, if we were just in no, talking about the ten best players, then it would make sense. But if we're making a roster, Gasol, as good as he is, if you had the roster you threw out there, he would never play. There just would never be a circumstance yeah. where it's like, you know what, we need Gasol in now because David Robinson isn't getting it done. <laughs> <laughs> Akeem just can't handle it. We got to get Mark Gasol out there. Is David Robinson like one of the more underrated? How would that guy's game translate to this era, guys? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So basketball, of course, is is a team sport, and I think every time we have these like great players that weren't on great teams for you know portions of their career we always they always become underrated but that's especially true of centers because centers 
other than Jokic, they have to have somebody else bring the ball up the court. They have to have somebody else initiate it. Yeah. You're so heavily dependent on what the rest of your team does. If they double you in the post, you have to have somebody to pass it to. And uh, David Robinson, to me, was a player that could do everything on the basketball court. And I think David Robinson's legacy has taken a very, very unfair hit for getting dominated by Hakeem Olajuwon, who, by the way, <laughs> yes, dominated... <Not> <laughs> It's exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you get dominated by arguably the third best center of all time, but you know yeah. Robinson might very well be like the fourth best center. He's the, he, I mean, I guess there's some great ones when you go all the way back to Wilt and and, and what have you. But David Robinson to me could do everything, um, and but was one of the rare instances, like his partner Tim Duncan, that didn't insist on doing everything. He was fine being a you know the team player and doing all these different things. So, to, and and by the way, in that that series. He wasn't that dominated by Akeem. Akeem really put it on him in game one, but Robinson outplayed him in a, in, in a handful of the games in that series as well. So to me, that's a narrative that like grew way out of control. Yeah, I that was I mean, it was so dominating that that, you know, it's hard not to think of it. But again, like it, that'd be like, you know, a really good boxer got knocked out by Mike Tyson. Well, it, it just so happened that was Mike Tyson. <laughs> like, <there's> was a, it? <laughs> But that's what I'm saying. Was it that? Was it that overwhelming? The, the you know the the uh, the the final series. I don't I don't think that it was. Ninety five. Let me pull up. I'm gonna try to pull up some of these box scores. I mean, he was solid. He has. Let me give you some of these stat lines here uh, in that series. The the more uh, dominant performance was what Hakeem did to Shaq, if I remember correctly. Sure, sure. So, so. we go to game six of that series. 22, 10, uh, 22 and twelve. You got twenty and sixteen. Twenty nine and nine. Thirty two and twelve. He's putting up. 25-point double-doubles in every single game with steals and blocks, by the way, and, and winding himself up in the positive in, in a, a bunch of these games. I just, I don't know. That narrative, to me, got a little out of control. Akeem outplayed him and obviously won the series and dominated game one. But I, to, to me, he's taken this weird hit where guys have him like down multiple tiers that they shouldn't. He was he was incredible. How do you feel about the Jason Kidd inclu inclusion here? Because that was a tough one. He was really, really yeah. good, obviously, but I don't know if he was – like if, if I was to, to – I mean I have to take off, like we said, I probably have to take off Marcus Gasol just because there's so much overlap in terms of skill set here. But like could I have gotten away with taking off Jason Kidd? And adding uh, and and moving James Harden to a shooting guard, and then having Kawhi in at small forward, and then would that have been fine for for my overall team? It's just it's tough here because there's so much talent down below that up top it leaves a lot to be desired, comparatively speaking. Jason Kidd's um, time in Dallas, his best season, which might have been the championship year or the year before, to me was probably I don't know his eighth ninth best season that he had of his career i mean obviously all of his prime came in new jersey so to me as much as he was still very good and obviously capable of being a champion on that dallas 2011 team but um to me tony parker was a finals mvp if we're just looking at straight point guards he was a finals mvp he averaged about twice as many points and almost the same number of assists um and tony parker he just like he was in san antonio and he was he was uh, a euro before the real big wave of euros and all this i i just think to me if you just compare their time in dallas and san antonio tony parker was was the better player yeah i could pro i could probably roll with that i was always a lot more i was made a lot more nervous by tony parker being on the court than i ever was by jason kidd 
Yeah, Jason Kidd like ran the show really well. I mean, he's a true point guard. One of the last like true just floor general point yeah. guards. And Tony Parker was one of the early sort of scoring speedy point guards, but uh, of that ilk, but um Even with I, that said though, I kind of feel like Jason Kidd fits better with this game nowadays than Tony Parker would. Give me the bigger point yeah. guard who's kind of who's more switchy, a better defender and can knock down three-pointers and then let my small forward be able to do stuff. Whereas like Tony Parker didn't really space the floor, was too small to 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 really switch on defense. His the spacing like if he was to play in a modern offense and his ability to get into the key would make it damn near impossible to to guard him. But I don't know if that's so valuable as as the other stuff that the kid might bring. I think when we start getting into that, it really skews a lot of this because all of these guys were yeah. molded for the era of which they played. And and to be honest with you, I think both Kid and Tony Parker are both fit for the time in which they played. So I, I don't I don't knock them any anything for that. But um, if we were trying to judge them by 2020 eyes, I think both of them are probably a little bit less. A little they're still great, but maybe a little bit less valuable. Hmm. All right, we're gonna take a quick second. When we come back, I want to or we are going to get into. Adam's Southeastern team, which, uh, again, took me by surprise as we were putting these together. So the Southeastern division kind of made tough because the Charlotte Hornets exist. (laughs) So (laughs) so it's kind of hard to really draw much from, from, from that franchise. But no overall, Hornets though. made the list, believe it or not. And that yeah. I feel like a hater for that, but um, I tried to squeeze one in. All right. Well, let's see, let's see how you, you <laughs> did here. Let's see how you fared. At point guard, like you said, this is top heavy. I love the starting five. The starting <laughs> five might go toe-to-toe with any of the starting fives, in part because, again, they're mostly recent players. But you got Penny Hardaway at point guard. Mm-hmm. I like it. Dwayne Wade at shooting guard. Yep. LeBron James at small forward. Mm-hmm. Actually, I guess you would have Tracy McGrady at small forward, LeBron James at power forward, and Shaquille O'Neal still at the edge of his prime, Shaquille O'Neal at center. Yeah. That's a lineup right there. Wait, which one are you going? Miami Shaquille O'Neal or, or, or Orlando Shaquille O'Neal? Man, it's a really good question. I think I – man, that's a really good question. I think you have to go Orlando. I think his okay. peak in Miami was probably better. It's like right off the bat. Because it was like the – because remember, they traded him because he was fat all the time by the end of his time in, in L.A. And then he went to Miami and got in like crazy shape. I remember there are a few things that have made me more angry than seeing Shaq as fit as he was his first year in Miami when they won that championship. I was livid. Uh, but, yeah, that was that – was, that was as close as he ever got to, you know, his peak with the Lakers. So I would probably go with that version of Shaq if it's just like one, one year. Uh, nah, for me, I'm still taking Orlando. I mean, let's put it this way. The, what you're talking about in Miami, he goes for 23 points per game, 10 rebounds, 60% shooting. In 94, he goes for 29 points per game, 13 <laughs> rebounds per game, and he's shooting 60%. So same efficiency, bigger volume. Uh, and then just the mobility and everything. You're right that you know those raw statistics don't measure the intangibles of like a, a seasoned player that like he was a champion. Mm-hmm. But come on, man, we're talking about we're throwing him alongside LeBron Wade. He's catching lobs. He's running the court. He's uh, handling the ball. I, I'm taking I'm taking Orlando Shaq. Interesting. All right. So who do you got now for 
uh, coming off your bench. This is where it got got a little ugly for me. <laughs> yeah, this this it's funny. It's a tale of two teams, right? The second group is uh, is you probably a bunch of knuckleheads. You got John Wall as the point guard. Uh, Gilbert Arenas is the shooting guard. Dominique Wilkins, small forward. Chris Weber, power forward, and Dwight Howard at center. All of these guys are talented. I don't know if they're going to stand out. Like when we, you know, we compared this just to the Southwest bench. I don't think it's even close. But like Dwight was really good in Orlando. <laughs> he could have won MVP. Gilbert Arenas had a short peak, but it was a really, really good one. You know, Dominique obviously fantastic. Chris Weber, um, known obviously more for Sacramento, but he had some some of his best years also um, there with the Bullets. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That second unit is a real drop off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. I'll just say the where I differed on you in your starting lineup. I had Bosch in a power forward, and I didn't have is that a LeBron. No, 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 no. So I have Penny, Wade, James, Bosch, and Shaq. No. Oh. And then All I right. had. I just want you to know when our teams go head to head, Chris Bosch is guarding LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but you have T Mac guarding LeBron James. All right, still that's good. I'll take it over so... Bosch. I don't know if I would. Give oh, me Bosch's link. This is insane. Oh, let, my let goodness. Let Bosch back up. And, this and, is insane. Yeah, I'm taking it. Okay. <laughs> this is wild. I don't think I don't think either of those guys would be able oh, to, to do anything. So it's, I think wild, it's a washy man. doy. And then, uh, and then I have Kemba, T-Mac, Wilkins, Horford, and Dwight. Yeah. I kind of um, played by like little league rules where I tried to include as many guys from different franchises as possible. So, like, yeah. I could see if you go with Wall over Kemba, or if you go with anybody over Horford. I thought the the guys that had to make this team though were T Mac and Dwight, and then and then Wilkins. Um, yeah. Everybody yeah. other than that though, the, you could have gone yeah spots. Kemba. You could have gone Baron Davis. Like I don't. I wouldn't have necessarily argued those. I think Wall's best year is better than all of them. Um, yeah. You know it's interesting. Alonzo Mourning didn't make my team or your team either, but I think Dwight and Shaq are just uh, clearly better to me. Glenn yeah. Rice is also a guy that you have in there. Mm. Again, reminder: we're only going from 1990 onwards, so we're not going too far back on uh, on some of the stuff. Paul Millsap was another guy. Al Horford, you mentioned. I don't know, man. None of those guys. The thing is, is I'm not going to argue you. It's just I, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if we're arguing Al Horford or not, we're, <laughs> the bench is going to get murdered. <laughs> All right. So we have the two teams. So we just were arguing David Robinson on the other side. Now, now we're talking about Al Horford. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to summarize which be, between these two divisions, uh, which division comes out on top. I think so. We had Pacific Division ranked as the top seed in this in this exercise i think the southwest probably takes the second seed and i think the southeast is probably the bottom seed of, of everybody which you look my, at you look I, my at my southwest i would i would put toe to toe and i would say you know what let's simulate maybe we need to do a simulation or something on nba 2k i want to see it because it's so great but if you're take Kawhi off of that that Southwest division, to me that changes things. Because if you have to put just throwing Kawhi into like to guard a uh, you know a Kobe or whatever, to me that's that's very interesting. Or Durant, you know. Or Durant. Well, I guess you need to have like four Kawhis, but yeah. <laughs> uh, in in hindsight, I, it was an oversight on my part to to not include Kawhi. <laughs> I would probably <laughs> if I had that to do over again. I probably would would swap out Kawhi for Marcus All. Uh, Southeast, so would you agree? Probably the bottom division of of all of them. Even given how surprisingly good, like that that starting lineup, 
either iteration, whether it's yours that has T Mac in there at small forward and LeBron in there at power forward, or mine yeah. that has Bosch in there at power forward and LeBron in there at small forward, that yeah. was a more athletic LeBron too, which allowed him to be able to play the small forward. So like either of those teams though, like those teams go toe to toe with any lineup that any division could be able to put together. You want to talk about positional versatility. So you got Shaq, and we're talking Orlando Shaq, who could actually move around the perimeter and guard and do whatever, but also just, you know, nobody can guard him inside. But then you have LeBron, T-Mac, Penny, and Wade. Those are, Wade's the smallest guy in there. He can guard one through four, one through three, and, you know, maybe one through four in a pinch. Mm -hmm. That's an extremely versatile lineup. I love that lineup. Yeah. I think that one's incredible. But unless they play 48 minutes a game, then that team's going down. <laughs> going to, I mean, as soon as Gilbert Arenas checks into the game, things get dicey. <laughs> yeah, if they're playing 23-minute games or, or, no, like 32-minute 30, games or so, because now you're asking guys to play 32 straight minutes, <laughs> uh, you, you might be in some, in some trouble there. It's, it's fun all around, though. Uh, how would you rank these teams though? So you have, do you still have Pacific up top, or do you are you going to be so bold as to put the Southwest up there? Pacific has the depth, so they they get the they get the top spot. But I do think that in the matchup between a potential Southwest and Pacific, I think it's tied going to the benches, and then it falls apart. So I think we have to have the Southwest and the Pacific on different ends. Yeah, so far, so they far that's to, our one two. They have to I meet think. in the finals. Is 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 what we're saying so far. Hey, we, we have two more divisions uh, to do next week that I think we'll – maybe we'll make some graphics for this. When we get to Central Division uh, and Atlantic Division, it's going to get really interesting. Of course, you got a bunch of Celtics, uh, 76. So you got a lot of really good players coming up in both of those divisions. And then, of course, we're going to bring in Michael. We're going to bring in MJ next week for the Central Division. So that one You almost fun. brought him in today. <laughs> yeah, and there was a – you know, I wondered if he could come in from the Windsor, Wizards, but <laughs> – all right, so that's going to do it for this week's episodes of the Locked On NBA podcast. Uh, fun stuff here. Again, thanks very much to Jeff Siegel of Really Bird Rights for hopping on to explain kind of the latest having to do with the situation between the uh, players and owners and what that might be able to say about this entire situation moving forward. Uh, please continue to stay safe. Uh, so that we can hopefully return back to basketball as soon as possible. Uh, But, you know, most importantly, to keep everybody around you safe. And we will talk to you guys next Friday.